Welcome to the Uncomfortable Conversations podcast, the untold stories of the 3HO Kundalini Yoga community. I'm your host, Guru Nishan. I want to say thank you for listening to the podcast and for sharing it as well. Um, please do rate and review. And if you'd like to donate to the ongoing support of the podcast, please go to gurunishan.com slash uncomfortable conversations. I read the intentions for why I started this podcast at the beginning of every episode. Number one, to break the veil of silence that is long permeated and continues to strangle the 3HO Kundalini Yoga community in the name of neutrality. Number two, to validate and help clarify the complex feelings of those who have joined this lifestyle, were born and raised into it, and or who have practiced or taught kundalini yoga. Number three, to encourage active listening to uncomfortable conversations from our community as a revolutionary act of self and collective healing. Number four, to let survivors know that we see them, we believe them, we love them, and we will fight for their truth to be addressed. Number five, to let teachers who are denying, gaslighting, or spiritually bypassing know that what they are doing is willfully ignorant and re-traumatizing victims. Number six, to illuminate the inherent racism, homophobia, cultural appropriation, and exploitation that perpetuates the teachings, 3HO lifestyle, and the overall community ethos. Number seven, to stop the perpetuation of gaslighting and victim shaming by naming it for what it is. Number eight, to dismantle internalized shame, guilt, toxic positivity, and lightwashing mentality. Number nine, to honor all the parts of ourselves that have been forgotten or silenced. Number 10, to honor each and every body that has come through this community, both named and unnamed. And number 11, to encourage people to do their own research, to process their own emotions, to get somatic therapy and other therapy and support as needed, to draw your own conclusions, and to be critical thinkers rather than to just blindly follow anyone. Please remember that your story matters, and please share it when you're ready. We're here to listen and to support you. I want to welcome today's guest to the podcast. Her name is Jules Hartley. She joined 3HO in 2011, changed her name to Amrita Kar, and actively participated as a Kundalini Yoga teacher, worked for White Tantric Yoga, Health and Humanology, Golden Bridge Yoga, Nine Treasures Yoga, and performed work exchange for KRI and 3HO, and did seva at the Rama Institute, as well as the Guru Ramdas Ashram in Los Angeles through the end of 2018. She grew up in San Diego in Northern Virginia, and then went to college in New York City, where she began her career as an actress and producer in the film and TV industry. Upon the suggestion of her manager at the time, she moved to Hollywood, where she lived for over a decade, much of which was defined by her life in 3HO, serving the community. 
She has lived back in San Diego since leaving LA in 2018 and is currently finishing up her fourth year rotations and classes of medical school. A second career in naturopathic medicine has given her a fresh perspective and the chance at a new start in life since leaving the 3HO cult. Jules Hartley, I want to welcome you and thank you for coming on the Uncomfortable Conversations podcast. Thank you for having me. Good to meet Sean. <laughs> uh, it's really a pleasure. I've listened to you on, on several other podcasts, quite active and a strong voice in 2020. And um, I just, I really appreciate um, the time that you've taken um, to share more, you know, and, and that's how this stuff works, right? It, it, it moves in floods and stages. And so I just want to ask you, you know, why do you feel it's important to, to share your story? Yeah, I think there had been some recent conversations amongst people that I knew from the community and recognizing that maybe there were still aspects, particularly about the LA Kundalini community and teachers that had not yet truly been illuminated and that had kind of flown under the radar in the last couple of years. So my intention is to maybe shed a little bit more light on that. And hopefully in that process, kind of open the door potentially for others to share or to at least kind of begin to recognize what's going on there as well for them. Yeah, yeah, well said, well said. Um, I know that your own journey into 3HO um, obviously from your bio, but also from the the other podcasts that I've listened to uh, and learning a little bit about your history. Uh, I speak specifically that you've been vocal from 2020 because, you know, having been a real like enthusiast and then kind of having a awakening prior to 2020, you know, you had earlier years of, 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 of kind of having your veil or your bubble bursted. Um, while people can go back and listen to some of those podcasts and get more details of the story of your personal experiences, I'd love for you to give us kind of a, a starting point of, of you coming in. And then I really love that you want to focus on highlighting some of the areas that haven't been spoken to yet, whether it's Golden Bridge or Nine Treasures and all the KR, uh, all the white tantric, whatever that area is, it's like we haven't heard that. And it is important to shed light in new ways with more reflection, more years of, of, of metabolizing. And I know you've been doing a lot of work, so take it away. Tell us where you want to begin. Yeah. So basically my story with 3HO begins in 2011. I had actually attended a Kundalini yoga class in, it was probably around maybe 2005, 2006 in New York city. It was at a, a crunch gym because <laughs> I was a crunch gym member. I remember I walked in and they were doing some hand movements and some chanting and I stayed for maybe five minutes and I, I was like, this isn't yoga. <laughs> so I left. <laughs> uh, I had been used to doing uh, a vinyasa or a hatha practice and I got into hot yoga probably about 2002. Um, I started having a yoga practice uh, over 25 years ago and that was at my own volition. Yoga was kind of popular in Hollywood in the 90s. And I had seen it, you know, uh, in magazines and films. And so yoga and meditation, I began doing on my own as a teenager. And I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the practice. I did recognize that there was somewhat of a, you know, a mental and spiritual component to it that I very much enjoyed. 
And in 2011, I was living in Hollywood at the time. I was pursuing a career as an actress and I had recently gone through two very challenging breakups. Um, I will say that from the time I was a teenager, there was a part of me that had always wanted to find a partner, build a life, have children, you know, be married, have a wedding, all of that. I think that's for many of us, <clears throat> you know, uh, an enculturation and, and a dream and that's okay, you know. Um, but I was in my late 20s at that point in 2011 and I was pretty heartbroken and I also was, you know, in the entertainment industry, when you pursue it as somebody who's in front of the camera, there is an awful lot of judgment and rejection. And I didn't have a very strong community of support in Los Angeles. I had sort of used those, you know, romantic relationships that I had been involved with as my support and friend circle and everything else it was sort of all I had known in LA. I'd only been there for a few years at the time. And my family was in, I had some extended family and family in San Diego, but also in Virginia. And so that, that, that remains true to this day. Although now I'm living in San Diego with my family. I'm so grateful for them. They took me in when I left LA in, in 2018. And I'm very lucky to have their support. Anyway, back to 2011. So I was just feeling a little bit lost and heartbroken. And I was dealing with a lot of emotion and didn't really have a framework within which to kind of understand the very challenging and difficult things I was feeling and going through. And I also was truly looking for, as I said, family and community, because I didn't really have that in LA. And one of my exes had a friend who had a yoga studio in Burbank and they were having a one month for 30 or $40 special unlimited, you know, come to all the classes. And so I tried out a Kundalini yoga class one morning and it was different and there was meditation in it. And I had been looking for a meditation practice. I'd actually kind of shopped around to a few I don't know if I found them on Craigslist or, you know, where, like we didn't have meetup back then, but I had actually attended a few meditation groups in LA. I was trying to find something that I could attend regularly. Uh, nothing had resonated. And one very clearly screamed to me, cult, very ironically, um, you know, there was a, a man at the front. And when I came in, he said, you know, welcome. Everybody said, welcome to me. You know, and then he immediately complimented me saying my energy was so meditative and he could tell I was an old soul and all this stuff. And it, it just all felt very fishy. And, you know, everybody was, you know, giggling a little too loud and everything he said. And, you know, every, all eyes were locked on him. And I thought this, this feels culty. Anyway, I went to this Kundalini yoga class one day at that yoga studio in Burbank and something did shift in me somatically. I can, I can say that, you know, it was whether, you know, the movements were new and I'd never done anything like that using those particular muscles in my body, or, you know, I really at that point resonated somehow with the chanting. It, it just felt new and it felt fresh and it felt like a new path that I could uh, pursue. And it filled that that sort of like meditation 
thing that I had been looking for. I told one of my best friends at the time, another actress that I had gone to this class and that I really liked it. And she said, oh, you need to start coming to Golden Bridge with me. And I said, oh, isn't that that studio, you know, just down the street from where I live? And she said, yes, I've been going there. You know, those classes, that's how I manifested my car. That's how I manifested these films that I have been working on. That's how I, you know, manifested the relationship, you know, that she was in at the time. And um, she said, you really need to come. You need to come to this class with, she said, Tej. <laughs> she teaches every day at nine o'clock. And uh, she said, let's go on Thursday. And uh, I did. I went with her. And as another friend of mine said, it was a whole vibe in there. <laughs> there were well over 100 people in this class at nine in the morning. And everybody was very enthusiastically chanting and doing the movements. And there were beautiful tankas and large crystals and the lighting was very beautiful and it was this beautiful space with exposed brick and lovely huge high ceilings and this gorgeous polished wood and you know this teacher on a stage and this you know costume that was nothing like I'd ever seen before and you know she was espousing what you could say is spiritual wisdom, but some of it seemed to resonate with me. And there was a very good sound system and the music was beautiful. You know, whether it was uh, Sonatum car tracks or, or what we were listening to, I, I don't really remember. But after the class, um, they had said when I came in at the front desk, they said, you know, we do have a new student special, 10 classes for $100. You can sign up for that if you'd like. And I said, well, let me try the class first. And so then after the class, I went back out and I said, sign me up. And I was in the lobby with my friend and a couple women that she knew came up and, you know, said hi to her. And then one of them said, are you going to solstice? Mind you, this was in May of 2011. And solstice is always in June in New Mexico, as we well know. And so I said, what solstice? And they kind of explained it to me. And I was like, that sounds epically awesome. I want to go do that. And um, I, I was a, I was a, a burning man, a, a tender at this point. And I really loved festivals and I loved music and I loved camping. And, um, you know, I'd never really been to New Mexico before. I, I don't know that I actually had. And it just, it sounded exotic and awesome and ex like a spiritual burning man and uh, what I wanted. So I asked my friend, you know, how do I sign up for this? She sent me the website link to 3HO and um, they had save positions available with the kids camp. And the, I mean, again, that really resonated with me. I love children and um, I called them and they said, yeah, we can sign you up. You know, it's $200. And I said, yeah, I can afford $200. And they said, you just need to arrive by this date. And my friend and I, um, she, a friend of mine with her friend, they'd wanted to go on a road trip to Santa Fe and then Las Vegas. So they took my car, we drove out, they dropped me off and, um, I flew back. But anyway, that was, that was my introduction and, very sort of fast indoctrination. You know, I did the three days of white tantric yoga. I think I only did a half day on the first day because it felt a little much, you know, uh, trying to figure out what, what, what I was experiencing. <laughs> but on the second day of the white tantric yoga, that first solstice in 2011, I 
did have a physiological experience that one could perhaps say was a kundalini awakening. I, I essentially we were in the middle of a kriya and I was um, partnered with a, a second gen 3HO uh, man and um, you know he knew he knew the mantras and all the tracks really really well so he was very solid and you know very sort of good at meditating and knew what was going on and um i it 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 kind of the only thing i can you know kind of compare it to was um i have felt you know iv pushes of of drugs you know at, at um in a medical sense you know i uh, i had an accident once at the hospital and they had to give me a small amount of morphine and you know like i could feel that sort of moving through the vasculature of my body like i could feel it starting to work it was like we were in the middle of this kriya in the middle of this very long day of white tantric and i just felt like something like drop into my system like in it and you know whether it was sort of a you know a beta endorphin situation or you know pineal dmt you know they say that that happens <laughs> they <laughs> um I don't know, but all of a sudden, you know, everything was just like, whoa. And it felt like this kaleidoscope had kind of exploded in my brain and in my body and the colors looked different. And every, I was like so much more sensitive to things. And um, I, everything just shifted for me somehow. And I was just like, I want more of this. Not to mention, you know, I definitely felt very high from the experience of being on, you know, the solstice land up there and in that incredibly gorgeous setting. And, you know, yeah, Yeah, I want to pause you and just say, so you started your first class in May. I'm assuming. okay, so then you heard about solstice right away and kind of like went right into the track of planning to go to solstice. But I'm assuming you probably kept going to classes between that first class and before you went to solstice. So by the time you went to a few classes, planned your trip to go to solstice. Had you already started wearing a turban or were you just covering your hair when you went to class? Had you already started wearing white? Like what part of you started already transitioning into some lifestyle habits before even that solstice? Sure. Yeah. Um, I had had a few scarves and bandanas in my wardrobe for years. And when I was in college, so at least 10 years prior in New York, I had kind of gotten into like wearing like India sandals and saris and not shaving. And um, so I kind of had some of this sort of more hippie ish stuff in my wheelhouse. Um, which is I, why it made it so resonant, which is why so much of it's like, oh my God, this is my people, right? Because yeah. there's elements of like, whoa, I've been searching for this and this is resonant. So I can see kind of like the draw. And like you said, you like camping. So going up into the special and then hearing the mythology of the land at Solstice. If you were a new student, yes. I kind of want you to give us a picture of what it was like after you heard about Solstice and the buildup. If you were coming to classes pre-Solstice, then there was like a buzz around going to solstice, just like there's a buzz around covering your hair, just like there's a buzz around wearing white and it starts to become kind of trendy. And you don't even know that you're kind of like, Oh my God, I'm so excited. Right. And then everybody's like coming in white. So I'm kind of curious about that experience for you since it sounded like you've jumped right to solstice. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I dove in deep very fast, but- But that's not uncommon. I'm learning that that actually is a part of 
a lot of a lot of people's experiences that start around May or June, right? April, May or June. A lot of when I started teaching, I noticed new students going into la la land by wearing white covering their hair and then going to solstice and as soon yes. as they came back from solstice they were an entirely different person yeah when they come back to my class and so i'm 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 guessing that's the setup of kind of like how the next 8 years went for you yeah i mean i think there was as you said this sort of buzz and you know i can't pinpoint exactly who said what or whether or not you know these classes I had attended at Golden Bridge. It was just a handful prior, maybe three prior to three. Okay. Um, but you know, there was a population there that was wearing turbans. Uh, a lot of people wore white and, you know, the teachers and I'm certain Tej would have been talking about solstice and, you know, how you were going to get major downloads and do a lot of deep cleaning and, um, you know, really have an opportunity to make a shift and start a new 40 day meditation. And all of this seemed very attractive to me. Yes. I also had started a blog at the time that I called spiritual warrioress. And I actually had a picture of a native, uh, like it was kind of like a native American inspired, but it was a, a lady with like dark wand hair and braids and then a white Buffalo. And I'd found this on the internet. This was prior to attending at golden bridge. But then once I sort of, you know, started to like learn about, you know, because Tej would talk a lot about the Sikh gurus. Um, and then, you know, as time went along, I learned more. But, you know, there is this, I think, in, in, in built into Yogi Bhajan's teachings too, you know, this warrior yes. archetype. But also the warrioress. So warrior I want to just pause and just be like, whoa, like. From, from the perspective of a spiritual seeker that is kind of like trying to like, you know, be the best they can be while pursuing this really ambitious career um, and to have resonance like that, that you have spiritual warriors blog that she starts writing and yeah, then comes so into contact with 3HO and the, right. the middle name is Carr and it's a princess, you know, like. Yeah. And I, and, and, and then with the white Buffalo and everything, it just, I, and, and mind you, like I said, all of that was prior to golden bridge, but then, you know, I was like, what are the odds, you know, what a synchronicity, like, you know, exactly. the white warriors and, you know, and of course as time went on and I learned about, you know, the ladies camps and then like the military training that was, you know, initially done with YB in the seventies. I mean, all of it, you know, I was just like, Whoa. Um, you know, and it, I think it, it is sort of, yeah. It, it lends to the mythology, I think is what I want to name is that mm -hmm. as a new student, right. You're coming in and you are seeking, you know, new healthy community practices, like all well-meaning things. And yet um, we can kind of like get caught up in the flurry, right. And not even no notice things. And, and, and this is why I wanted to point it out is because folks, you know, being a new student and then being sent to, to not being sent, but encouraged to go to, to solstice happens in all yoga studios all around the world. And yeah. so um, keep it going. So you go to solstice, have this amazing epiphany experience. And, and I'm guessing you're wearing like a basic scarf and white. 
<laughs> right. <laughs> right. Um, I do have some pictures that I could share with you. I have a picture from when that my friend took um, with her camera when she dropped me off that first day. And, you know, we followed the directions, went up the, what is, what are, is it 31 or 13 mile road? I can't remember. And um, I remember when she dropped me off, you know, like past the signs and everything. And of course there's a greeter there saying, go this way. And it was a guy with a beard and my friends go, whoa, he has such peace in his eyes you know like whoa you're like in the land of the hippies now Jules and I was like yeah you know remember I, like I really loved that movie Almost Famous like you know 1973 kind of always resonated with me you know I always loved Zeppelin and I was just like yeah and then you know I'm meeting these first gen folks up there and I was like these are OG hippies man like this is what I've been looking for you know that vibe I had always resonated with you know, this idea of breaking away from, you know, maybe something that wasn't serving, you know, in terms of, of, of previous enculturation or existing social structures. And there was a part of me that always recognized, you know, that some things needed to change. I always was like, you know, um, hashtag decolonize. Um, so anyway, all of it just kind of resonated with me. And then you know, I, I didn't question seeing like the TV monitors and the giant picture of Harbhajan Singh Yogiji everywhere. Um, you know, I was like, huh, this is interesting. You know, why is everybody laughing at everything he says? And, you know, but he seemed so, you know, it, it just like, you know, everybody was just, again, that like all eyes glued, everybody listening, everybody taking this as the word of God. And, um, I was like, well, maybe there's, maybe there's something to this. And then when I had that kind of physiological experience and shift, you know, through those very long days of meditation with white tantric yoga, I was like, oh yeah, oh yeah, this is legit, you know? And, um, I had already sort of not wanted to drink much or smoke cannabis much. None of that was really resonating with me anymore either. I was kind of, wanting to get out of that kind of thing that, you know, people do at parties or when they get together. And, um, you know, this group, you know, I'm, I learned, you know, being up there, you know, that they're sober and that they're vegetarian and that, you know, part of the teachings and the culture there is, you know, to get married and have children. And there was the children's camp that I was involved with. And so all of this, I was like, okay, like these are men who, you know, are not going to like, you know, drink and get abusive and angry with me. You know, they're not going to be sitting and smoking, you know, weed on the sofa every night when I come home, you know, if I marry one, you know, they're meditating, they're doing yoga, they're vegetarian. I've been vegetarian for, you know, a decade and a half at that point. And I was like, this is perfect. You know, like, I know that if I meet a guy within this group, like it's, they're not going to be an asshole. <laughs> Um, and you know, I still at that point was, to be honest, I was looking for a husband. I really was. And, you know, the teachings, you know, you get married. So I was like, great, great. Sign me up, like find me a husband here. And I had, you know, what could be considered a bit of a romance with a, with a second gen man, um, for a few months, maybe six, nine months, um, he lived in New Mexico and, you know, I was in Los Angeles. We saw each other a couple of times, but then come June, you know, so a year later now, 2012, he was like, you know, Jules, I'm sorry. Like, I don't, 
think that, you know, I, I could have a romantic relationship with you, you know, for whatever you, set of reasons. You met at the first solstice? Met at the first solstice. Okay. I think his family was kind of like, look, she's an actress, you know, she's not a second gen person. Um, she's independent, you know, she's in LA, she's got a career there. You know, you need somebody who's going to come to New Mexico, live with you here, give you children here. You know? <laughs> um, anyway, so I think he was kind of dissuaded by his family and that's kind of what made his decision for him. But anyway, at that point, I was doing like a level three, the level three, I guess, with KRI in 2012 in Espanol. So pause, pause. Mm-hmm. Within one year. I had done did- training level one. I had started doing the level twos and now I was doing level three. <laughs> Within one year. Within one year. So how is this possible? Did you do an abridged level one after solstice? Did you sign up for the abridged level one versus the year long level one? No, I did. It was the nine month or whatever level one. Um, So it was that nine month and then you immediately started doing level twos or you started doing level twos while doing level one? Yes. So at the time there was a teacher training being offered um, starting that fall at Golden Bridge, but I didn't sign up like quickly enough. But then people were talking about the teacher's training that Tej was doing. And Tej was the teacher that, you know, I, I like to go to her classes the most. And probably that was because there were like upwards of 100, 150 people there every morning. And the group energy just felt so huge and uplifting and, and powerful. And I'm going to be honest, I had, you know, quite a good deal of sort of, you know, psychological mother issues that at that point had not been fully you know, sort of or even begun to be uncovered. And, you know, uh, here, here is this kind of mother figure, you know, with giving guidance and, you know, being there every day. And I think there was a part of me, you know, psychologically that resonated with that as somebody who has mother issues. Um, you know, anyway, but so somebody told me about the, the Tejari G1 teachers training, and that was going on over on the west side of town, Marina Del Rey. And um, so I went to a Harajiwan class and then I started going to the Harajiwan Tej workshops that they were having almost every weekend at Golden Bridge. And those were massively big productions. You know, they had these multiple gongs that that Harajiwan was playing. And, you know, again, they were using the very, very sophisticated and, uh, you know, hi-fi sound system that they had at Golden Bridge. And there were hundreds, I mean, hundreds, you know, 300, I think was the capacity there at Golden Bridge at the time. Um, And they would often hit that, you know, people showing up for these workshops. So there was just a lot of energy. And, you know, they were espousing like, you know, we're doing these rebirthings, you're rebirthing, you're clearing, you're burning, you know, you're, you're providing yourself a way to give yourself a, a therapeutic experience. And they were doing these workshops where, you know, you were going into literally like, you know, back to like in utero, like you're back in the womb. And, and, and I have not gone back and looked at the actual uh, rebirthing series from Yogi Bhajan, but, you know, it was my understanding that they were following all of these and, and, and giving them as workshops at the time. Um, I know there's a lot here. Hari Jiwan had- I want, studied, I want to pause and just yeah. say, um, you had said you did, you started going to workshops, then you signed up for teacher training. And, and so I the teacher training, training you did that lasted yes. that long nine months, this is between yes. that first solstice and the second solstice, was with Tej and Hari Jiwan. Um, 
in Marina del Rey or wherever they were doing it. Yes. So during this time, when you first came back from Solstice, you started getting a relationship with a second gen. So that's one connection in. And then also you started being more involved at Golden Bridge, I'm guessing. So you start come back and you're more committed to what, like volunteering or working there, like in Golden Bridge, and then immediately sign up for teacher training by, by whatever time, kind of give us a sense of that timeline. Yeah, all of the above. And, you know, I learned about SEVA at Solstice and, you know, the work exchange, which, you know, <laughs> it's, it's free labor and, you know, a for us, by us system. But anyway, um, you know, to me, I thought, you know, SEVA was great. And, you know, by doing SEVA, I was giving back to the world. It was a way to volunteer. You know, you're always told, like, you know, do, do more for others. And um, so it, that resonated with me. And I will say also the music, you know, um, I was like, oh, that, you know, these, these songs are so beautiful and it, you know, I hadn't heard them before, but, um, so I started, uh, downloading tracks from the internet as I could find, you know, I started with some Sonata and then I think I went into some, uh, young Naringen and, you know, older Naringen and, um, anyway, I just started downloading a lot of, of the music and then listening to it on my phone and on my computer and then, you know, um, Tej, Tej and Harijiwan in their classes, you know, they always said, you know, you need to be making sure that you have the music playing 24-7 in your house, have it playing in all four corners of, you know, the rooms. You can have different mantras in different rooms, you know, but this is, again, to, you know, like help, uh, you know, help your mind to be, you know, on this track of God, you know, um, constantly meditating on the Satnam or whatever, and, um, you know, this is going to fast track you, you know, in this uh, sort of like vertical path that you're going on. Um, and, you know, this mantra is for wealth and this mantra is for love. And this one will find you your soulmate. And, you know, this one will give you $9 million. When, when did when did you change your name? I, so I actually- um, took on a name. Yeah, when did you take on the name? Yeah. Kind of tell us- more like how the commitment went. So like things started happening. So I, uh, like when I went to Solstice, I had actually had, um, I don't remember probably from some other meditation group that I had dabbled with, um, the name Saraswati had kind of come up and I really resonated with the goddess Saraswati. And so I was using that my first few months, but then it was probably 2012, maybe end of 2011. I did the apply through the 3HO website and, you know, the name I got back was Amrita. So I started using that. So basically within this first year, full transition, signed up for teacher training, added Amrita to your name, started wearing a turban. I also went to India. <laughs> Bring it, tell us. So um, after Solstice, I did a, a, a quite a bit of traveling. Um, and this was kind of part of the whole plan. It was like sort of the sabbatical that I was doing uh, from my acting, you know, kind of to try to help with this heartbreak and sort of open myself up and get spiritual. Anyway, I ended up in India and um, in talking with people at Solstice, you know, I had learned about a little bit about like the Sikh stuff, but I didn't, I didn't know much, to be honest. You know, it was to me, it was just another Indian religion and Indian temple. Um, I, I really didn't know much at all, but somebody had said, you know, go to Anandapur Sahib and I wrote it down wrong, but I still had written it in my journal. And anyway, I ended up in Anandapur Sahib and I ended up, you know, staying at the Dashmish Sadan, you know, Yogi Bhajan's 
And I had a whole experience there. And the, um, there's a, a man there, I want to say his name is Kalidas, you know, kind of takes care of the grounds. And, you know, he showed, showed me where, um, you know, the main uh, Keshgar Saab and all that is. And there was a couple other uh, people there uh, from the UK and India who sort of, you know, showed me everything. You know, I'd never had Prashad before. Um, I didn't know how to tie a turban. I didn't have turban material. They like, you know, helped me make like a, a sort of a makeshift a star and um, how to dress properly. And um, anyway, so I got a, I got a crash course in how to attend, <laughs> how to attend a Gurdwara when I was in India. And um I was by myself and um, I did a lot of meditating in 11 days there in Anandpur Sahib. And, you know, to say I got downloads would be an understatement, but um, I just loved it. I mean, I was just, it was so magical, all of it. I mean, it, it couldn't be more exotic for me and it couldn't be, you know, more peaceful and wonderful. And I mean, um, Gurbani and Kirtan is incredible and I am never going to downplay that nor my experience with it. And I do want to say that, you know, those temples are, are definitely very sort of like separate from, you know, 3HO as we know. But um, anyway, I, I, I just sort of got, you know, a much more, uh, a broader understanding of what was going on. And I wanted more of that. So then I spent a week in um, Amritsar and then I went to Rishikesh for a week and um, I traveled a little bit more, came back to LA and I asked a man who I had met at Solstice, got his email or Facebook, something like that. I said, is there a Gurdwara here in LA? And he said, yeah, I come to Gurdwara's ashram, you know, on Robertson. So I immediately started getting involved there and doing Seva there. And um, yeah, I just was on a very fast track Let's just put it that way. But I think, you know, what a few things brought me in, like I said, there was the resonance, you know, just within me and parts of me, which I think was uh, very earnest and honest. I think, though, that there was a vulnerability and that I was really seeking community. I was seeking family. I was seeking a system with, within which a framework to understand heavy things like grief and heartbreak and death. Oh, that was the other thing. I think there were six uh, family members and friends who died within like a six month period there in 2011. Just and that also so much kind of brought me into. Yeah. And, and I think what you're highlighting is, is just such an important thing for all of us to hear in that so much of what feels like resonance is, is areas in self-development or personal well-being that we're taught is good for us, right? So it's kind of like what you said, well, it's important to give back and it's important to like, you know, the land or, you know, whatever, right? Kind of following your heart. These ideas can get into us and based on the, the history of what we're holding, right? And then suddenly you come into contact with the mythology of these things. We don't know how much is really getting planted per core, per class. So one thing that really stands out for me is to hear your story and that, from class to solstice to a rapid exponential entry into India, Sikh gurus, uh, Sikhi, uh, community, local ashram, uh, a physiological-based breath-body practice that you get to discipline yourself, a lot of your personal practices that you had already decided on in your life, whether it was vegetarianism or, you know, not drinking, like these are, again, are attached to well-being practices. So here this resonance exists. So why wouldn't it be the best thing since sliced bread, right? And, and of course, why wouldn't you commit yourself more and more? 
But I have to say that a really huge component of all of it was the production aspect, as well as the hype and the celebrity aspect that was provided by both Golden Bridge and the building population and student sort of uh, following of Harijiman and Tej and what they were doing at the time with Gurmukh and Guru Shabad at Golden Bridge. So yeah, share this because this is such an important thing because you add the celebrity culture, you add the high fidelity product production, the group energy you keep talking about. And we're human beings that are social creatures and we naturally kind of vibe in connection with others, right? And it can take us over. So yeah, go there. I mean, this is pre-Instagram. I don't think Instagram came around until 2012. So in 2011, we didn't have Instagram. We had Facebook. Um, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of just sort of like social media sharing stuff. It just wasn't the same, you know, our phones weren't getting internet at the same capacity. So, you know, you had to go somewhere to, to still like physically have an experience. And, um, this was definitely an experience at Golden Bridge. And like I said, you know, they had put a lot of money into the actual space, the architecture, the art, um, you know, the pieces that were there were very beautiful and very special. And so Hari Jiwan and Tej have, you know, and I think they were kind of following the, the Yogi Bhajan way, but um, a method of teaching that is, and Gurmukh does this too, it's you know, it's a little bit like an aerobics class and there's like this, like, go, 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 you know, like you're really driving, like bring the energy, bring it in, pull it down, go, you know, push yourself, let's go. And you know, that the music would be like cranked up with these like, you know, huge speakers and, you know, you're just like, you know, there is like literally like you're vibrating <laughs> um, and you're chanting at the top of your lungs and you're moving and you're sweating and, um, you know, it just, it just felt like something was really happening. And I mean, I think as I was saying, you know, on a physiological level, I'm sure it was, you know, back to sort of those rebirthing workshops that were also, um, they were doing those as part of their teacher training weekends as well. So the way that the, um, so Golden Ridge was having its own teacher training. I, I have to clarify this. And then Tej and Hari Jiwan were having their own distinct separate teacher's training. However, they were still part of the Golden Bridge training. However, Golden Bridge didn't know that they were having a teacher's training. And it was very hush-hush and you weren't supposed to talk about it. It was like exclusive. It was their own thing. Um, and part, the way that Harry Jiwen set up these teacher training weekends is it would be a Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And if you wanted, you could come on Thursday, or, sorry, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, my apologies. You could come on Friday or you could come on Saturday or you could come on Sunday. You could come for part of it. You could come for all of it. There would be a long meditation Friday evening and there'd be a long meditation one Saturday in the middle of the day and then one Saturday evening and another long one, like another workshop Sunday morning. And this would involve yoga and then some kind of a longer Kriya, you know, whether that was 62 minute Sat Kriya or one of these rebirthings, you know, uh, 62 minutes Siddharshan Chakra. Anyway, that's a draw, you know, for somebody who's wanting to further their meditation practice, you know, get ever higher, you know, like have more of an experience, you know, see how far out they could go. 
And he always would bring in the gongs into the meditation with these tracks, particularly more towards the end of these longer meditations, you know, when you're already kind of in an altered state and out of body anyway, he would always do long gong baths and he would do, um, the way he would speak involved, you know, kind of this uh, hypnosis, you know, they would call it self-hypnosis. I think they were, you know, following the script from, from YB, from these original times he taught. Um, that was another thing that both Chaj and Hari Jiwan, you know, really made it a selling point that they were the only ones, the only teachers out there who were following, you know, word for word, the teachings of Yogi Bhajan, these incredibly powerful teachings, because she was the archivist, and that they were typing up these transcripts. So they knew, you know, exactly. So this, the, the only place that you could get you know, the download from Yogi Bhajan that was like identical to the way he taught it, which was so powerful, was to attend their workshops. So, you know, that was a selling point. Um, but Hari Jiwan would use this manner, this method of speaking. And, you know, if we were to pull up a recording of him, I could kind of point it out. But during these meditations in particular, there was, it was kind of a soft monotone voice. And when the gong would be brought in with that, you know, you're all, like I said, if you've been meditating for hours, you are in an altered space. Biochemically, you're in an altered space. I'm sorry, you just are, you know, like we know this. And then, you know, whatever he would say or guide, you know, as far as, you know, psychically where you're going, you know, in your psyche, in your psychology, whatever, in your mind tracks, I have no idea what he was dropping in there is what I'm trying to get at. Yeah. And I think the essence of it was, you know, meditate more, you know, do more seva. There's that one track. <laughs> that was made, I think, in the 80s at some point. And um, it's the repeated recording of Yogi Bhajan, you know, saying, you know, the obey, obey, serve, serve, love, serve, love, excel, obey, you know. Yes. <laughs> and I, I want to pause and just so that listeners are following us, who she's speaking of, you know, so first, right, uh, Gurmukh at, at, and, and her husband Gershabed, right, at Golden Bridge, and then uh, Tej and Harijiwan, right? For those of you that go way back, Harijiwan was the toner bandit dude in the 80s that went, you know, to jail and um and reinvented yeah. himself when he came out and you know got a got a you know a, a ticket, you know, into Golden Bridge and to be able to like start being a teacher. And we'll have somebody on the podcast explaining that whole scenario soon. But um the the point is is that one of the techniques you're talking about that that Tej and and, and uh, Hari Jiwan obviously used in the building of their, uh, what I call the spawns, new cult spawns, is um, the specialness, right? How you created this ar architecture, you, you explained the architecture around how their 
their training, their workshops would be extra special because Tej was actually given the long-term job of being the archivist and YB. And she was also, from my understanding, the assistant to, to Gurmukh for a long time. And so there's just long histories of these older teachers and their relationship to YB and how they even ended up in this teacher path. And there's significant things you're pointing out about celebrity culture and who doesn't want to be with the elite and the most special of the special of the Kundalini group. And so we have to really understand that the different locations in LA were really vying against each other in a way, as well as the teacher trainings, right? To fill people and get people for their training over a different training is a really big deal. Yes. And thank you for clarifying that. And I'll give a quick timeline. So, you know, Gurmukh Yudhishev had met, uh, my understanding, at a Golden Temple restaurant in Los Angeles. She had already been previously married. They get together. They have a child. So this is maybe the 80s, I guess, 70s, late 70s, 80s. Harjewan and Tej got married uh, probably in the early 80s as well. They were an arranged marriage yogi budget. They have a child. Um, you know, things are going along. They're part of the L.A. community, both couples. Um Gurmukh starts, you know, I guess she had been in Tucson. Anyway, at some point she starts teaching in Los Angeles in the 90s. And as we know, she had celebrity clientele. Um, you know, I know there's pictures of her with Madonna and Courtney Love. And, and well known as the birthing I, yoga yeah, person, and, the person who goes to for, for prenatal and kundalini prenatal, really became famous that. in that capacity. Sure. Yeah. And then, you know, she was teaching out of her home in Los Angeles and then she opened a studio and um, this is, I think we're talking early 2000s now. And then the studio um, ended up moving to Hollywood and somewhere between the time it was on Third Street and into the original location, which we was uh, behind the Arclight Theater in Hollywood. Um, okay, so again, backing up the train, Hari Jiwan and that whole, um, you know, taking the hit for the fraudulent activity, you know, the, the, the federal fraud um, with the, the toner <laughs> scheme. Um, so it was my understanding that he went to prison for two years. So he's out maybe, this is around like 2001, 2002. At this time, he and Tej had gotten a divorce, you know, because of this whole thing. You know, uh, she, they gave up their house. You know, she said she had to, they had to sell the house, you know, to pay off the debt and everything else. Tej is heartbroken. What do I do? Um, she goes to work for Gurmukh. And so she's working for Gurmukh as her sort of, you know, like, paperwork, front desk, whatever, helper outer person with this Golden Bridge yoga studio operation that she has. Gurmukh needs a sub at some point, a substitute teacher, 2003, 2004. And she says, Tej, go teach. And Tej is like, I can't teach. She says, no, 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 you need to teach for me. I'm sick, I'm out of town. Whatever the, the case was, she couldn't teach one day. And then this started happening more and more and more. And so then Tej was teaching more and more and more, but as a substitute for Gurmukh. Hari Jiwan gets out of prison. For whatever set of reasons, Gurushev and Gurmukh allow him to teach at Golden Bridge. What else is he going to do? He's got a criminal record. You know, he's part of this cult. Um, this is all he knows. You know, I think they, they kind of took pity on him and said, okay, you can teach here. So he and Tej, now we're in the mid-2000s, you know, start teaching classes at Golden Bridge. Tej is teaching more and more and more as Gurmukh is traveling more and more and more, doing teacher trainings and workshops around the globe. Gurmukh loves traveling. She loves shopping. She loves going to all these different countries. And, you know, Tej now is starting to gain a following at Golden Bridge in Hollywood. 
literally her classes started out with like two, three people in them, three, four people. We saw, I saw the sign-in sheets from back then. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you're teaching every single day at the same place. You know, they started calling it church because, you know, it was like, oh, let's go to church, you know, nine o'clock every morning, this woman's going to be teaching. And um, yeah, it just, it took off. And, you know, um, by the time I got there, Russell Brand was going to the classes um, and I had already enjoyed speaking or listening to Russell Brand speak. I enjoyed hearing him on uh, podcasts and, and things like that. So he resonated with me. And then, you know, of course, it's like I'm sitting there next to Russell Brand in a class and Orlando Bloom is here. And um, who else came? Rachel McAdams. I sat next to once in a hard G1 class. There were several celebrities, you know, that I I admired and, and liked. And um, yeah, I mean, it was like I said, it was just a whole vibe. And I thought that I was like part of something. You know, and then Russell Brand joined the teacher's training and, you know, so it was like, great, you know, here we are. And there were also some like wealthy socialite people who were part of, you know, this cohort that I was with. And we were having large parties in the Hollywood Hills at these huge mansions um, that were, you know, the Kundalini parties, you know, and it just was a whole circus. <laughs> it's it's just so important. Everything you're illuminating because it what we all have to remember is it's still going on today, you know, that, um, yes. and we'll get there in the telling of the story, but Grimook and, and Tej and Untreasures and, and, and Hari Jiwen and the techniques you're talking about in terms of the, the sound and the gongs and the extensive workshops, all this is still going. So as you illuminate it, it's so important because it's a part of the draw. It's a part of the mystical mystique and it's not by accident. It's like, I have zero doubt that Hari Jiwen had his mastermind plan and was bringing it to life so much earlier than than many would have ever known because the the repeat formula to me like a lot of the things I'm hearing you say it, it's like what I remember my parents attending with YB you know and then they would come back and we would see all these changes happen in our you know our community as kids and, and it it was just right into the next thing, right into the next thing. And everything was so transformative and lives got changed. And um, so I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. Thank you for painting that. Well, and so also at this point, you know, um, so Harjewin was also teaching classes um, out of his apartment in, he kind of lived on the border of Santa Monica and Venice. So he was also doing classes there. And, you know, those were like the real exclusive classes with like his sort of like original crowd of followers. And at this point, and I think this is an interesting turning point for those students as well. They were all about my age and they had been attending his classes now for several years. They decided to start wearing turbans and all white because he said, to them, you know, if you wear the turban, you know, if you wear the white, you know, if you do this, like, you know, this will take you to the next level. And then he said to them, you know, if you get married, then your yoga practice will go to the next level. Like you think white tantric yoga is amazing. Like marriage is the ultimate Kriya. So he, Hari Jiwan, arranged several marriages within this yoga community that was developing around him on the west side of Los Angeles. This did a couple of things. I, I think the most important was it started to create this sort of well-bonded, you know, social structure because you have a wedding 
uh, officiated by Hari Jiwon with the community there, you're now like kind of like locked into that with the community supporting it. I mean, this is what a, a wedding and marriage traditionally has been. But, you so know, is just this, is this happening when you're in your first year with teacher training with these folks or is this like several years in? A couple of the weddings had already happened. Uh, by that point. So when I joined, there were these couples, these young couples that were my age. Committed, um, right. And they were committed. I mean, so when I came in, you know, like the girls were still maybe wearing like black yoga pants and like kind of a white top and like a scarf. But, you know, this, this, their evolution was kind of happening at the same time as mine. And that they kind of started switching over to wearing like, you know, like Kurti and, um, you know, these tantric necklaces and then wearing like, um, you know, they called those like kunda pins um, and the the flowing chuni and all that, you know, basically a newer version of what the 3HO women had been doing, you know, their evolution of costume through the 70s and into the 80s. Um, these Harijuan students were doing the same thing. Yeah. And I call it the marketing funnel into Siki, um, which is such a fascinating thing, because as soon as a yoga student starts, that funnel begins, you know, and whether or not we recognize it as that, it's kind of like it's the name change. It's sadhana. It's it's solstice. It's community, you know, and it's all these things that seemingly are good, but it's really moving people into this fantasy land around uh, becoming a devout Siki in a 3HO context, it's such a weird thing to look at 20 years out of it, you know? I mean, it is truly bizarre. But so Hari Jiwon was also, you know, telling his students, like, you know, that to take things to the next level, you get married. To take things to the next level, you have a child. To take things to the next level, you know, you do the two and a half hour Kriya every morning, you know, to take things to the next level, you know, you wear this costume. So it's like, you know, just following all of that, all of the teachings. Follow the formula. Follow the formula. Follow the formula. Um, but he had a way of, you know, saying like, this is it. And, you know, um, I do remember in all the classes and workshops, there was a lot of us versus them rhetoric. So, you know, like, and, and, and also talking about us as the chosen ones, the special ones, you know, you're the ones lucky enough to have done however many incarnations to get to this point, you know, don't blow it, don't lose it. You know, this is your destiny. You're saving the world. You're clearing generations of karma on either end. You know, I mean, it, it's kind of a lot of pressure. Like it was like, oh God, okay, you know. <laughs> and it also feeds that part of us that really wants to create impact and be of service and leave a legacy. Yeah. And these are like very normal human ambitions. And um, yeah, so um, what's interesting is kind of the private faction that he was starting to build. And I know that again, we'll hear more more detail in, in terms of that. Um, what I'm curious about is you're working with Golden Bridge, but taking classes, taking your teacher training over here. So you kind of are starting to kind of, kind of Both like feel this special group over here, yes. but commit yes. yourself over here to Golden Bridge because it's, it's more glorified. It's the big lo location. And this place is kind of the secret new spawn that's growing. And that feels wonderful yes. because you're a part of something new that's birthing while you're a part of something big and special. Yeah. And there was like, there was just sort of, like I said, there was all this exclusivity rhetoric that was going on. Golden Ridge was within walking distance to me and there was no studio on the West side at that time. It was just those classes and RGM's apartment. So, and then the teacher training that, you know, I was attending. 
So, yeah. And it did feel like different and exclusive. And those people felt more committed. You know, they were going to the Gurdwara and, you know, I didn't see the other yoga student students from Golden Bridge attending the Gurdwara and doing as much stuff with the Gurdwara. So, you know, to me, I was like, oh, these people are more committed and more authentic and they're on a faster path and they're getting the downloads faster and their aura is brighter and cleaner and all the rest of it. They're following the lifestyle plan, which I want to say out loud that solstice attending solstices was a part of that plan that that that, oh, that yeah. started implementing right away because it's a part of the mythology and the storytelling that any of these teachers tell about the commitment they made as they made all these choices you know so once again students like Jules are getting this through the lens of these prolific teachers sharing their amazing mythological story of how their life got changed with these teachings over several decades and then the the community just kind of like reflects this mythological um, purity back and being like, this must be it. Well, I think it's like, you know, a few things sort of sold the teachers to me. They, they, Tej Narji went, they had a lot of knowledge about like the Sikhi stuff. They, they could read the Gurmukhi. Um, you know, they had a lot of stories, you know, that they would tell whether, you know, as you say, actual like mythology, you know, Yogi Bhajan would tell this story, you know, um, and literally they were, they were like myths or stories. <laughs> and, and, and what's so, so important to, what's so important to know about this is every teacher, like we all have stories of our teacher training where each teacher did that in their unique, interesting way of making the, this special relationship that they had with YB. And the more we hear it, I think it helps because hearing how Tej and, and uh, Harry Jiwen did it, that's the first time I've ever heard this. I've never, but anybody that grew up, you know, around them would probably not think any of those things were special, but I could see why a new student would feel that was special because of the way that he uh, uh, positioned himself. And then just simply the costume. And, you know, every time I saw them, you know, they're in those costumes and it's like, well, if these people are running around LA, you know, confident enough in what they're doing to like live this lifestyle and be in that garb, um, you know, there must be something to this. Must be real. Must be, you know. <laughs> and and then I had been to India and I had seen those Gurdwaras and I had had an experience there and I did really resonate with it. And I thought it was so incredible. So, yeah. you know, so yeah, it just, it just made sense. And then I'm sitting next to Russell Brand. So it's like, pff, no question, <laughs> you know, and where there's love, there's no question. And yeah, as you were saying, you know, you, you build your whole yearly schedule around solstice because Yogi Bhajan said, if you, you know, go to summer solstice and winter solstice, everything else will fall into place around those, you know, if you have your 40 day practice, this will happen. There was a lot of, if then, and and okay, with the exclusivity, with the if thens, with the, you know, do this and, you know, and all the hyperbole that, you know, was sort of brought in through, I think it's kind of a cultural thing that hyperbole, um, the more I sort of, you know, have listened to different South uh, teachers from South Asia kind of speak, I think there's kind of a cultural way of, you know, talking in, th in, in hyperbole, like, you know, you do this and it's a thousand times more powerful than if you did this. And well, you know what I, what I want to say that I think a good cult leader does is take something that might be culturally contexted in language. Mm -hmm. And then that's 
in another culture, somewhat say fetishized or mysticized or fantasized. And so then exoticized, exactly. So then by doing that to white Americans, right. And the command, the penetration, so much of, of the three HO bolstering and what YB created is that right. It's to penetrate us in this way that is culturally out of context. And therefore that's somewhat the draw. Yeah. And I have to say like the Orientalism of it. I mean, yeah, like making it seem exotic, like that was, it was so disturbing for me in 2020 to kind of recognize like, you know, just the sheer amount of white supremacy that is built into this whole system that I was a part of. I mean, down to the fact that we're wearing white and we're talking about white light and white auras and all this purity and, and, um, (laughs) It's painful, painful, the the unravel (laughs) of the white woman, the white exceptionalism, like the extent of this unravel has definitely been my last entire year. So we won't take up this podcast with that, but y'all can uh, keep dismantling it because we're going there, folks. Um, So true. So true. Um, But yeah, so, you know, I I mean, okay, so Hari Jiwon was at his teacher's trainings on those like, you know, Saturday um, you know, the, Saturday was the full long day. Um, there would be a lunchtime, uh, and it would be like this lunch bunch meeting that he would have with his inner circle. And these are his longtime students, you know, the ones that were going to his apartment classes and who were the devotees and who were doing the seva for him at the teacher's trainings, like this core that he had developing that was like starting to dress like in the th- more traditional, like, you know, 3HO with the flowing chuni and all that. So they are starting to really become a thing. And I remember like wanting to attend a couple of those lunch bunches, but it was, I mean, it was, that was like the next level. That was like really exclusive. Like if you sat in there, like, you know, you really needed to listen to this teacher and and do what he's talking about. Um, And I did a couple of times, to be honest, um, there was like a lot of cursing and it was a lot of negative talk against 3HO and KRI and basically talking about how like, you know, you don't need to join their system. You know, it, 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 it was planting seeds for, you know, we are moving in a different direction. You don't need to do their teacher training levels. You don't need to do their teacher training trainer thing. You know, that's just putting more money into them. Like we are doing something very different. We are taking the teachings, the pure teachings, you know, KRI has butchered and botched and, you know, written, they haven't done the translations correctly. Like whoever was typing those up didn't even know Siddhiguru Granth Sahib. So, you know, when Yogi Bhajan was uh, quoting, uh, you know, some something from Gurbani, they wrote it down wrong. So, you know, we are taking the original recordings and we are retranslating them. So, you know, stick with us because we are the purest lineage. That's essentially what those meetings were always about. And then he would talk in this very sort of like flowery language, that word salad that, you know, um, Guru Jagat adopted and had ways of cadence and speaking that you know, we're just kind of like, huh, okay, you know, like speaking and 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 fluff essentially, you know, kind of like Yogi Bhajan did. Um, I don't know. It never really fully resonated for me. I'm going to be honest, that exclusive group, although I was sort of part of it, you know, as friendly with them. Yeah. And, and how common it is to kind of feel like, hmm, this doesn't fit right, but we stay in something, right? And and also how 
how that so much is historical in 3HO, the exclusivity, the special meetings, the special groups, the inner circle. And, circle. and, And for him to have this language as early as this goes back to the master plan that he's operating on because that's early. He's foreshadowing a loyalty system that puts him and Tej as, as more authentic than, say, the whole 3HO KRI. But he's doing this while riding the the uh, foundation of of Golden Bridge. And uh, KRI. And KRI. And 3HO. And 3HO. So extract, him, yeah. extracting legitimacy, extracting students, extracting accessibility to other yes. students, but planting seeds in his inner circle of the real special wisdom and the direction that eventually folks becomes Rama. So we're setting up. So setting up setting and this up. it started to sort of leak into their workshops and classes. You know, they literally, like I quote, they would say, fuck Golden Bridge. And I don't know if, you know, you can bleep that out, but, um, you know, fuck KRI, like fuck Gamook, like those people are, you know, crooks and sharks. And uh, they're, you know, it was, it was always talking extremely negatively about everyone else in the greater sort of, you know, white 3HOC, Kundalini, SSSC, whatever community, whatever this group is. Okay. Yeah, and so you're getting that, but in little doses. Meanwhile, you're still connected to Golden Bridge. You're still doing Seva at the Gurdwara directly. So you're also in the community itself, yeah. not just Yeah, and, and you know, the Gurdwara was established. Golden Bridge was established. Um, I did 15 months of Seva, meaning unpaid free labor at Golden Bridge Hollywood, um, which was also kind of like, you know, I think that, I think the manager at the time, the general manager, um, you know, recognized here's somebody who's already hooked in a fanatic, you know, she'll do work for free. We don't need to hire her. She's not going anywhere. Well, and it's a part of the ethos since the seventies. So this is just actually a part of the built-in culture of, businesses running on free labor or devotional labor as it likes to be mass. Sure. And a hundred percent. However, I do want to point out that Golden Bridge starting top down with Gurmook had a sort of extra precedence of Seva and how special it was to be able to do Seva for Gurmook and her operation. And there was a culture of that, that very much took advantage of those of us who were artists, starving, struggling artists, which we were in Hollywood, you know, trying to have a career in the entertainment industry, you know, who were not maybe necessarily able to afford paying for their, all of these workshops and all of these classes, but wanted to attend as we could and be part of, you know, the community and get as much of it as we could. Um, and, you know, I think as, as we were talking about, you know, that, that will be expounded upon more, um, in the future and hopefully with other guests as well. And how that's built into the YB mythology of those original teachers as well about how YB would sprinkle the the money on the ground for the students that couldn't afford to come to class, but there had to be an energy exchange, you know? And so how it's so built into the teachings itself. And then therefore like a teacher like Gurmukh then centers that around her right? Where YB had all the, his teachers centering it around him and the service they could do. And then how the teachers just morph and then create that same centering around themselves. 
Yeah. And so then Hari Jiwon had his own sort of like save a system. And then Tej was starting to develop her own save a system. <laughs> there was always somebody who, you know, was like Tej's bestie or like, you know, right hand person who got to play the gong at the end of her classes for everybody, you know, who got to bring her her coffee in the morning, who got to rub her feet, you know, whatever, kind of take care of her. And, you know, it, it, it was there was a cycle. It was like this, like, you know, revolving door of uh, Savidars for Tej, you know, that I hadn't been around long enough to kind of, you know, bear witness to the fact that this was sort of an ongoing pattern. Um, but as time went on, you know, I began to recognize it. Um, so anyway, I, I know I'm, I've been jumping around, but sort of back to this, you know, we're in 2012 now moving into 2013 and more and more and more in Harjeevan and Tasia's classes and teacher training workshops and workshops, you know, at Golden Bridge, they're kind of leaking out this, you know, screw these people, you know, you don't need to come to Golden Bridge and we are having our kind of own exclusive thing going on on the West side. Like this is starting to come out more and more and more. And, you know, then by the time um, January 2013, gosh, it seems so long ago, rolls around, word had gotten up to Gurmukh, who was back in town doing her Khalsa Way prenatal training at Golden Bridge. Word had gotten back that, um, and it was probably came through me, to be honest, because I had mentioned to somebody else who was working at Golden Bridge at the time, you know, I just attended the teacher training workshop with Tejan Hari Jiwan this past weekend, and there were 250 people there. Meanwhile, the new teacher training at Golden Bridge that year only had like 44 students or something. He was so word students. The word literally gets up to the top floor of Golden Bridge, which is where the offices for, you know, the executive director and, and Gurmukh and Guru Shabbat were in. And Gurmukh and Guru Shabbat are back in town. They'd been gone and out of town for, you know, several weeks, definitely several months. They just were not around. And so they get word that this is happening, you know, at this teacher training that Tejan Harjeev are doing. They kind of go ballistic because they they recognize that, you know, they're kind of stealing the population, as it were, of students, you know, over to their West Side operation. And, you know, what's the solution? Well, you know, they work for us. They got to be under contract with us. We're going to draft up a contract and have them join us exclusively as teachers. So, you know, they contact Hariji Wan and Tej and confront them about it. And Hariji Wan is like, no, absolutely not. I, you know, you don't own me. I'm not signing a contract. I wasn't there when the actual conversations went down. All I knew as a student and somebody working at Golden Bridge at the time was that he was removed from the schedule. Tej was put on as a sub for his classes. I attended, you know, the, the Tej subbed class. Her energy was very different. Something seemed very off. And then the next morning she did not teach. And, you know, she taught every morning religiously. Now, is um, Gurjugit teaching at this time too? Because I know she. No, she well, Gurjugit was. Um, so Gurjugit, I first heard of Gurjugit probably in 2012 from somebody who was a you know a student dabbling at Yoga West who attended the Gurdwara who I met at the Gurdwara, um, a middle aged woman, and she was like, hey, you know, listen to these uh, videos on YouTube. You know, if you like astrology, you know, let's listen to some astrology reports and see like what's in the stars for us this week. Uh, this gal Kundalini Katie, she's pretty good. Because she was teaching at um, Yoga West at that time. I want to say Monday through Friday at 9 a.m. So she was kind of like the Tej of Yoga West. And Yoga West was that studio that was across from uh, Guru Ram So Basha. she wasn't working with, uh, with, with um, Gur Hariji when yet? 
Not yet, but she had started uh, attending his, like I know that the summer previously, 2012, she had attended his level two up in Grass Valley. So, you know, up more in Northern California that he was running. Got it. Got it. Um, Interesting. Okay. So, so she then- was, she was uh, part of the, you know, she was listening in on these lunch bunch meetings and attending, you know, these inner circle kind of gatherings and and his teacher trainings and then like at solstice she was hanging around the rg1 crowd so she was you know socially kind of part of um and you know i think that um so once rg1 sort of you know found out that she had this following on youtube with the astrology and that she was you know teaching monday through friday 9 a.m at yoga west and kind of had a student following there you know ding 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 here's an opportunity here's somebody who's got a following And, you know, she's young, she's charismatic, Um, you know, she has a background, she had, she had pursued acting and modeling at one point, you know, um, and I think she was still interested in that, Um, you know, she wanted to be, she wanted to be on a stage, she wanted to be famous, I think there was a motivation there, you know, within her, and, you know, Harry Jiwon recognized that, and he was like, um, I'm gonna take you under my wing, I'm gonna teach you, you know, you know, I'm gonna teach you how to do this, you know, how to uh, espouse this, you know, exclusivity rhetoric, how to deliver these teachings, you know, how to be part and of And how to build a persona as the invincible one, right? And she created that whole yes, book about the invincible right. spirit and all the things. So from 2011, there was a real trajectory uh, for her, no doubt about it. And so, okay, so keep us at Golden Bridge. Suddenly they obviously get factioned out. They get factioned out this is January, end of January, 2013. So, um, you know, Tej starts trying to figure out, you know, where to teach. And she, um, she taught at Russell Brand's house that first morning. And then she taught at a dance studio off of Hollywood Boulevard, that second 9am class, you know, so now we're two days out. And then somebody said, Hey, you know, I work at, I think it was, was it Sunset, not Sunset Gower, but um, Sunset Bronson. Anyway, one of the studios over there in Hollywood, you know, we have um, space over here on the lot Um, you know, and I work on the lot, like come teach here. We can, we can, you know, for whatever rental fee, we can have you come teach here. So she started teaching over there. I attended, I first attended maybe a couple weeks into this move, you know, and, and to be honest, like the majority of her student population kind of followed her. Um, because I heard it was a big deal, right. That there was like this kind of big walkout with Tej, her students going with her, something like this. Yeah, I wasn't there for, you know, this quote unquote walkout. Um, so I, you know, I can't speak to how any of that happened, but I do know that Russell was on Twitter saying, you know, Tasia's class is going to be held at this address this morning with the dance studio address. Um, so, you know, he was announcing, you know, come to my favorite, come to my yoga teacher, because he was calling her my yoga teacher at that time. And, you know, they were being photographed by paparazzi, um, you know. So. Yeah, and for those of you that don't know, several years later, you know, RG1 is the, you know, produced The White Sun, and, and which was another prodigy music kind of thing. And, you know, really brought this to a whole celebrity level. So this level of form, formulaic break, break off and the creation of kind of his inner circle and his, his special elite, this is by no accident and it's quite formulaic. So even to hear it right now is so fascinating. So yeah, keep going. So in 20, I must have been around... It must have been 2012 or it was probably 2013 um, after Yogi Bhajan's birthday sadhana, it 
No, it must have been 2012. Yogi Bhajan's birthday sadhana at Golden Bridge. I was outside and Harjewan came out and I was talking to him and I said, you know, um, is my internet okay? Can you hear me okay? I got the message saying that I didn't have connection. Um, he said, we started talking about Burning Man because Burning Man was coming up. And I said, you know. So we were um, at Golden Bridge after Yogi Bhajan birthday sadhana. So August 26, two and a half hour long iPhone car. <laughs> and I'm, this is 2012 and I'm outside and Harjeevan comes out and I was basically talking with some other students who were longtime Burning Man attendees as well. And I was like, you know, we should go to Burning Man. Burning Man is so awesome. I feel like... Yeah, I'm the, the timeline I'm trying to to get correct. But anyway, it was either 2012 or 2013, but I feel like they had left by 2013. So it must have been 2012. Um, anyway, I and a couple other students convinced Harjeevan to go to Burning Man. So he and a few of his, you know, devout student followers, we all went and Simrit went. Now, Simrit at the time was a very, very devout Harjeevan follower and considered him her teacher. You know, he had, you know, pushed her to learn Gurmukhi and, you know, sing, um, you know, some of these mantras and, and, and kind of shabads on, um, you know, her albums. And, you know, she, I think, looked to him as a mentor and she was attending his teacher trainings and, you know, um, got roped in, you know, they were up in the Grass Valley teacher trainings that Harjeevan was doing every year at this point. And Simrit would be performing music there, you know, during the teacher trainings, like they had developed a relationship. Simrit comes to Burning Man too. So Simrit, myself, Guru Joss and Harjeevan are there at Burning Man. And there was a man, um, his name is Anthony. And I guess he and his, uh, partner at the time were also very involved in Kundalini and had started going to Harajiwan's teacher's trainings. He was a, you know, mu musician and was, you know, producing these like sort of like loop tracks, you know, with, with a looper and, you know, recording them so they could be just like, you know, they were cool. They were really cool with his guitar and some other electronic uh, sounds. Anyway, he was there too. And so he and Simrat had kind of started collaborating a little bit, you know, um, she would kind of, you know, sing a mantra and he would have one of these tracks underneath it. So he brought his, you know, whatever, like his PA, his speaker, his guitar to Burning Man. Simrit was there. Gurjas was there. I was there. They said, let's perform at, you know, these various camps. Like, you know, a friend says, you know, we could, you know, sing some mantra and like lead a meditation, you know, at this time on this day. So we kind of had a schedule put together of like where we were going to be doing like, you know, performances and meditations at Burning Man. Hari Jiwan brought his gong. So we've got this like loop track guitar, Simrit singing, Hari Jiwan gong. And then Guru Joss and I started singing backup vocals and we called ourselves White Sun. <laughs> So there used to be videos available on YouTube of this. I think they've since been taken down. Maybe I could find some, but uh, yeah. So we performed all these like little, whatever, like just little concerts, mini concerts, meditations at Burning Man. Then we went on to do, I think it was Bhakti Fest, you know, out at Joshua Tree. That was, that's always in the beginning of September. And um, I think there was a couple other festivals that we did. And then we did like a performance at Yoga West. There was another girl named Teresa uh, who was going by Sangeeta, who's a very, very, very talented and award-winning. Um, she's a classical, like opera, classical singer, artist. 
anyway, we were then going to do the, um, what is the Spirit Voyage Festival? I can't think of the name of it. The Spirit Satnam Voyage Fest. Satnam Fest. Satnam we were going to do Satnam Fest East. And I actually was back in Virginia visiting my family at the time. And I get a message from, I think it was Anthony saying, um, hey, you know, we're not going to have you perform with us at Satnam Fest, even though I had been planning on it. So I was kind of cut from the group. And so was Teresa. And so at this point, it was just Simran, Gurjas, Anthony, and Hari Jiwan. Now, at the time, Hari Jiwan had, uh, his wife had left him. His wife, Erin, at the time had left him. Um, you know, I, I'm not going to surmise for what reasons, but um, he was always very flirtatious with his students, including myself. He would stare at me for long periods, and I, you know, I would see him staring at me. He would say things to me like, you're the prettiest girl in the room. Um you know, you, you have all the brains and all the beauty, like these very like complimentary, you know, it felt a little creepy, but he was kind of a little creepy, I guess. Um, but I, I was used to being hit on, you know, I was an actress and a model and I was in my twenties and, um, I was just sort of used to it on a certain level. So I just kind of brushed it off. I was like, he's just, you know, this old dude, whatever. And now he's single, his wife left him. Um, he was having Simrit spend more and more and more and more time with him around this time. And I found out later that he was having her come down and stay at his apartment, you know, come down from Grass Valley, you know, leaving her husband and son in Grass Valley and come stay with him. And he also, you know, was telling her that she needed to split from her husband, Jai Dave, um, you know, what the reasons were, what the, you know, any of it, who knows. But um, she was spending the night at Hari Jiwan's apartment and attending all these teacher trainings and, you know, now doing this white sun operation with them. And Jai Dave came down for one of the teacher trainings that Simrit was, you know, performing music at uh, one of the weekends. And all I know is that they stormed out, like in the middle, they just left, like very quietly, but they were gone. And I remember asking one of Harjuman's students, like, what happened? And he was like, what do you think happened? I was like, I don't know. I was naive. Like, I didn't, I didn't get it. But then I did. You know, Harjuman was trying to end their marriage and begin a relationship with Simran. Wow. I know she hasn't been public about this. However, there are several forums in which, you know, it has been made, you know, people have talked about it. So I feel comfortable saying that. Um, and anyway. I also want to say that it also is illuminating a very very historical pattern and on repeat that Arjun is setting up with his earliest students and for us to hear this is very important because the silent nature of it is how it perpetuates and carries on with new spawns of teachers doing the exact same formula that YB did with his students and his followers and so by speaking to it it's more than just naming their story and maybe one day they will tell it in a public way um, outside of, uh, of written stasis, but thank you for that. And, and so yes, keep going. And absolutely. So Simrit's now gone. Harjewan and Grujas take this white sun, you know, name, and now they're running with it. One of Harjewan's longtime students, uh, a woman who took the name Santosh, um, her husband, who was not a Kundalini student, they had actually been married before she had found the yoga community. And she was a she was a fanatic. She was a hard one fanatic. <laughs> she still is. Um, 
So her husband had won many, many, many awards in the industry as a music producer. Very talented. That's his career. So, of course, Gurjas and Harjewan are aware of this. And Gurjas sends, you know, a small clip of herself singing, because she's now dabbling in singing. You know, she'd been doing this thing with the White Sun stuff to Santosh. And, you know, Harjewan had, um, you know, really encouraged Gurjas to learn Gurmukhi, to, you know, learn the Bonnies, you know, to learn all of the teachings, you know, to sort of an, you know, an nth degree. And, um, you know, the way that she would pronounce the Gurmukhi was pretty good. Uh, she could read it pretty well. And um, she knew this stuff and she knew, you know, what the general sort of spiritual meanings were of, you know, these Bonnies and things. And I mean, she was she was knowledgeable. And so Harijiwan was like, you know, you are the channel now. You are this new modern channel for this sound current. And so she sends a track to Santosh. She's like, oh, this is pretty good. And then, you know, plays it for her husband. And then, you know, because at the suggestion of Gurjas and Harijiwan, you know, like maybe we can do a collaboration. So that's how White Sun, as we kind of know it now, you know, kind of was was born. And, um, you know, I don't know the ins and outs of it. I do know that, you know, I think that Adam Barry, that is Santosh's husband, the award-winning music producer, recognized that this was an avenue within which, you know, he, he could go down to be part of the community that his wife was a part of. Because he didn't, he didn't attend the the events and and things like that, the teacher trainings and the works. I don't think it resonated with him. But now he had a way to be closer to his wife. And 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 you know, Tejan and Jiwan were saying, you know, this is great. You know, now you guys can you know make your relationship deeper and closer. And so Santosh doesn't you know work. She was a housewife. Um, aside from, I think she'd had a, a career in modeling prior to marrying Adam, but, you know, Adam was very successful. You know, they had a nice home in a very nice neighborhood in Los Angeles. Um, they clearly, you know, had a good amount of money. And so she did not, she didn't work. She wasn't a career woman. So she's got all this time to devote to Hari Jiwan, but also whatever endeavors that they're pursuing. So, you know, yeah. Just, so just in that note, you know, it's also part of the formula to surround yourself with people that have extra wealth, right? YB really taught this well, right? To find out how people can best serve. Are they the person you platform? Are they a person that has money and, and resources? Are they connection? Are they an open doors person? And and watching how this formula morphs into um into how it plays out in a whole nother spawn of, of specialness and inner circleness. And also at this time, you know, the Rama Institute had already started. Tej, you know, had sort of gotten her more permanent um, location for her nine treasures operation. So she, you know, was doing that. I was doing Seva for her at the time there. Um, so she you know. has, not, uh, so, sorry, so Tej is nine treasures. Mm -hmm. Golden Bridge was Golden Bridge. And then um, uh, just so that everyone's kept, caught up uh, then Hari G1 along with Gurjas and Gurjugit, right? Start mm -hmm. Rama. Mm -hmm. Right. So now Tej does come a part of Rama too, but she also has her own nine treasures kind of system and following, but she's definitely a part of the Rama group too. Yeah. So Rama is Gurjugit studio, which was started with a loan from Kundalini Katie's mother. Um, and, you know, she starts this yoga studio and Tej and Hari G1 are teachers there at Got the it. studio 
as well as her jaws. And um, anyway, you know, and I think there was actually a white sun, you know, kind of concert thing. I remember I sang and did some chanting with one of Guru Jagat, Katie's early classes at Rama. There's pictures of me like on the little stage with her. Um, so, you know, I was part of that, you know, mm-hmm. world socially and, you know, all the classes and everything. Anyway, um, Santosh at the time, the reason I know this is because she had me sub for her classes that were being taught at a studio in the Valley that she had regular classes a couple times a week. And she asked me to, to sub for them because she was going to be out of town. She was out of town. She was going around the country and she was, you know, essentially going to various events and, you know, whining and dining, literally like taking out um, various members of the academy the recording academy and, you know, saying, this is our CD. You know, she's in that costume. She's in the full costume, the flowing chuni, the beautiful, you know, Kunda pin, whatever, uh, the beautiful jewelry. She's, she's a very tall, you know, she had a modeling career. So she's a, you know, symmetrical face, like a very lovely lady. You know, she's got this whole persona. It's all white. The album's called white sun, white sun. This is pretty easy to remember. I mean, like you, you get it. One. What year is this? What year is this? Uh, it was whatever the year was that they uh, won the Grammy. So um, I must was thinking that was much later, more like 2015 or 16. Exactly. Yeah. That's what I was um, thinking. We, could, yeah. we could, I could Google it, but um, yeah, exactly. anyway. So, yeah. um, so just keep going on in terms of like your story and what propels you. So here you are quite enmeshed with, with, with yeah. Rama and Golden Bridge and, and Nine Golden Treasures, Bridge. all the three of <laughs> and, and the Gurdwara. And now White Tantric, I'm getting involved with White Tantric Yoga as, as both the Savadar. But then I managed to, you know, kind of come in as, as an employee, but that's, that's another tangent. I just want to finish this thing about Santosh going around and kind oh, sure. of, um, you know, marketing their album, the White Sun album, even though she was not part of the album. I mean, she's not making any of the music. She's not on it. You know, her picture is not anywhere like this. None of the vocals are her. She's got no part of it. She is the like this face of it. And, you know, for her husband, Adam Berry, who is the member of the Recording Academy. And, you know, they're going around and literally interfacing with as many individuals that are, you know, part of the recording academy as possible, you know, essentially lobbying their, their album. I mean, this is, this is, this is the politics of entertainment industry. You know, you get your name out there, you know, and then furthermore, at this time, Instagram is taking off. Instagram is, you know, very instrumental in the rise of Gurjaga and White Sun, I have to say, you know, without Instagram, their whole, that was their platform. And initially there was the, the hashtag thing with the algorithm. They were writing the algorithm in that all of that inner circle of Harjiwan would use the same hashtags and repeat, repost the same posts that they would make marketing, you know, White Sun and Harjiwan's workshops and classes and Guru Jagat and, and Rama and all of that. But particularly the White Sun tracks, you know, that you could play the track and have a cool image or video under it. And, you know, with, with certain hashtags. So like, if you would look at a certain hashtag, there'd be like 25 reposts of the same post. So I noticed that this was happening. And, you know, then they would like, you know, they would say, oh, look, you know, we're number one on such and such a chart. Well, what was happening, you know, they were in their workshops and teachers trainings, they were having the students, you know, 
play these tracks off the internet, off Spotify or whatever, you know, on repeat in the four corners of your dwelling place, you know, chanting, listening to, because this is going to, you know, make you wealthy. This is going to bring you your soulmate. This is going to, you know, the same thing, <laughs> this, the same teaching. So, you know, yes, it's going to get a million plays immediately because everybody's got it on repeat. Right. Um, exactly. And, and creating this viral, using the viral aspect to get to get that all on repeat. Mm -hmm. I just have to say, I recognize this because I am a member of the actors union SAG-AFTRA and I have to vote, you know, I have to vote every award season and we get a ballot and on the ballot, there are, you know, all kinds of, you know, films and, and television shows and, you know, all kinds of actors and, and teams of actors and stuff. And have I seen every single one of those productions? No, I don't have time to watch all of them. And generally, you know, when I go through that ballot, I vote for who I recognize and who I like, like Tina Fey, I'm voting for her, you know? Yeah, I, I love that producer, I'm voting for him. Oh yeah, that was a fun movie. I didn't see the other four, but I know I like that one. So I'm voting for that one. So all I'm saying is, you know, I, I think this was very easy. You know, people are like, how on earth did White Sun beat Enya? <laughs> Well, okay, you know, if you're a member of the Recording Academy, you know, you've gotten this personal, like, we have, you know, this musician on the album, you know, a personal, someone personally telling you how great, you know, the production value is on this album, who has contributed to the album, you're remembering this person in this very unique costume, in the very unique mannerism, it's called White Sun, you know, White Sun, White Sun, yeah, oh yeah, I remember that lady in all white, oh yeah, 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 she was so nice, oh, that's so cool, yeah, and they, they said they have this Aura player on it, this guy who, you know, came from West Africa, whatever. Cool. Voting for that. Yeah. 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 Just the, 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 the lead in thinking and how formulaic that is too. But that's, that's, that's very, very, very typical in the entertainment industry. So someone in the entertainment industry would recognize this. And I do have to yeah. also say that, you know, when Sonatum was nominated, I know that Spirit Voyage did not do any of that kind of lobbying. They didn't do any of that kind of interfacing and, and marketing as it were. So she was out there all on her own, you know, so it's well you know, said. never well about said. talent per se, it's about who you know and who knows you. Right, right. Oh. And, and it sounds like Harry Jewin has quite the playbook on that, you know, in terms of how he strategically, you know, made whatever moves he did to, to put himself in the, in the posture and the position. Because uh, for those of you that don't know, you know, uh, in 2020, you know, he, him and Rama and the whole, they, they came out with that horrible flow of fate video that was the propaganda video against you don't love or whatever. It was just horrible. And it reminded me of like 1984 propaganda that I remember in every Gurdwara or every lecture. And you're oh. a kid absorbing propaganda. So you don't know it's propaganda. You just know it's off. And yeah. that's what that video felt like. But I, I'm pointing that out because- the, the formulas you're hearing, like what Jules po is pointing out here is like, these are, you know, how you, you know, surround, how he's surrounding himself with people of importance and prominence with different resources accessible. He's already making moves early before the establishment of Rama to marrying people, pushing people to divorce, having private relationships with his own students. And again, for those of you that don't know, he was married to Tej. And then by this time, he's obviously created some sort of a partnership. Oh, but, yeah. So, yeah, like Tasia divorced. This was around. Yeah, whatever, they, they had divorced yeah. early in the 90s, but later on created this teacher capacity. So and one of he starts students. creating the following around him and Tej is still there. And then he ends up marrying 
his own student and then marrying another student. So it's, I don't really want you to tell us all the stories of his weird complexity, but I do want you to bring us, because we're going to get to some of those details. I want you to bring us to, so you're taking all this in during these years of your most devoted commitment, I guess is where I'm getting at. You're teaching, you're saving, you're hearing this interesting like faction happening. Golden Bridge is also yours. Um, and it's not even close to 2018, which is where I'm going here because it's 2013-ish. So I know. <laughs> what more do we want to fill in? Because by by 2018-ish, you start waking up and then 2020, it all breaks open. So I really want you to be able to hone in on the parts that you want to highlight specific to yeah. your story. And because- we might need to do a part two here, <laughs> but um, I know I'm very long-winded. And, but it's okay because you're illuminating aspects to how these things go on on such a potent repeat and elements to stories I've never heard. So I'm guessing most listeners haven't heard. So let's not speed it up. Let's just get as much as we want and then keep going. And we can always do a part two, no problem. Okay. So what I'm going to say next, the the reason I'm saying it is because it it is integral to my story in a way. So yes, Harjewan had married one of his students, this uh, gal named Erin, and then she left him in 2013. She was instrumental in helping him to build his original teacher trainings, which were on the West side of Los Angeles and was part of that original sort of group of following that he had. He married several of his, Harjewan married several of his students together and the way he did this was by, you know, having counseling sessions with them and sort of, you know, telling them, like I was saying, that marriage is sort of the highest level of yoga. And, you know, you want to take this to the next level, you know, why don't you marry this person? And then saying to the other person, why don't you marry this person? You know, really setting these marriages up. So there's this very core group that's around him that's sort of developing off into their own thing. Then they have, you know, by the time this whole Rama Nine Treasures thing has come about, White Sun, you know, and Tasia's playing the White Sun tracks in her classes, Harjima's playing them in his classes, you know, then this uh, Emmy seems to come out of, or sorry, Grammy seems to come out of nowhere. Several of their students were Emmy Award winners, so that's why I was thinking of that. But um, this Grammy almost seems to come out of nowhere, but then that gives them this huge sort of platform upon which to, you know, say, look, like, we're, we're tops. Like, we are this exclusive. You know, we are this whole thing. Um, in these years, Hari Jiwon is dating his students. Um For example, one of his students who I was friends with, she had newly moved to Los Angeles and um, she discovered the yoga sort of on accident. I think she kind of, you know, ran into them and and she's a very lovely, lovely lady. And and a lot of these students, you know, were very beautiful young women, I have to say, (laughs) you know, a lot of them. Um, And, you know, Hari Jiwon was, I think, instantly, you know, recognized in in this person, you know, a seeker and somebody who, you know, could could be kind of taken in and part of the group. And she was beautiful. Um, And so she started attending the workshops and the classes and the stuff at Rama. And he was, you know, offering to give her a ride home and, you know, give her a ride to the workshop and this and that. And then, you know, they were you know, going to different events together. And then he, you know, was holding her hand and calling her baby and, you know, really getting very, very close physically to her. And she remembered being very uncomfortable. And then she kind of cut that off. And then he, you know, got very cold with her and um, kind of made her time 
you know, every time she would show up at Rama, miserable. And then I think some, you know, there was definitely like gossip going around because Guru Jagat started acting differently with her. And anyway, all this to be, you know, just as an example of one of the students that he was definitely hitting on, you know, and, and like I said, myself included, I remember at one winter solstice, I was walking across the, you know, where the baseball field is from the, the tenting camping area, like across into the entrance. And, you know, this is what, 7.30 in the morning. And I can just feel somebody looking at me, you know, like I just, you know, you just, you have that feeling sometimes. And I was like, this is weird. And I mean, you know, I'm just like walking along, like ready to have my day of tantric, you know, and I look up and I see him just like staring at me, like with this like weird, like, like this gaze that's like this very deliberate, I don't even know. And I was just like, that's kind of uncomfortable, you know. Um, but I think he would do this with students, um, you know, and then there was um, a student, Amanda Chantal Bacon, who founded Moon Juice, which, you know, now it's been revealed in insider articles and podcasts. And I think maybe, I don't know if Vice did a piece on them, but anyway, a lot has been revealed about her and her practices and the racism and the abuse of employees. Or, you know, this whole same story, similar to Rama, she was friends with Guru Jagat. She shared a hotel room with Hari Jiwan on one of their, you know, India yatras. So, you know, and they did white tantric yoga together and he was doing white tantric yoga with several of his students. All is to say, one of his students named Mundave, um, he was doing weekly counseling sessions with, he had married her to her husband Nirbo in 2010. That was one of the arranged marriages. You know, he said, you marry him, you know, uh, you marry her, put them together. They had a wedding. You can watch it. It's on the internet. <laughs> if you Google it. Um, they're bowing at his feet in the ceremony. Literally, they have their forehead on the ground at his feet, uh, which is, I'm not going to judge it, but that did happen. Wacky. I will. I'll say it's absolutely lunatic, but go ahead. Anyway, so I think probably around 2015, um, Harjeewan convinces her because she had been doing more and more and more and more seva for him, for Harjeewan, for his teacher trainings, for these traveling teacher trainings that he was now doing in Eastern Europe and Russia and uh, Western Europe as well. Um, you know, saying you need to come along with us, you know, this is your destiny, blah, blah, blah. And um, so she's taking more time off work. Um, he's saying you need to, you know, work more with the teachings, you know, do more with us. She is. And then, um, you know, basically tells her, you know, you need to quit your job. Come work for us full time work, you know, save a, so she does. And, um, she was making a good salary, uh, doing the work that she had been doing, uh, which it was my understanding. It was like a PR for uh, various companies. Uh, a couple of airline companies included. Anyway, um, so she's no longer working in like a corporate capacity and she's now with him full time and traveling with him. And so after a particularly long kind of like teacher training travel, you know, I think this was 20, 2016 now, um, she comes back after a few months and serves her husband, uh, this man who was named Nirbo, uh, divorce papers. Wow. And so, you know, who knows when their relationship started, but, um, you know, at some point they had developed a romantic, physical, intimate relationship, hard you want to Monday. 
Right. Um, and their divorce, uh, Nirbo and Monday's divorce was finalized, you know, the beginning of January 2017. And not maybe six weeks later, it was announced on Instagram that Hardy and Monday had been married at some point because Guru Joss made a post, congratulations on your marriage. Monday. Oh my Lord, that is just, it's so strange. But the bottom line is he was sleeping with his student um, at some point and she was living with him after the divorce. Um, I remember asking her, where are you living now? You know, cause I went to a class at Rama and she was like with Guru Joss. And I was like, but Guru Joss just had a baby. She's got an infant. They live in a small one bedroom apartment, you know, her, her husband, this child. I'm like, like and there was something in the way she said it that didn't seem right right. she was living with her but mind you she had been spending more and more and more time I mean late night hours doing Seva at Hardyuan's apartment for many months prior to this cooking for him cleaning for him doing his laundry like all this while she was still married to this other yoga student and Harajiwan was having her, you know, text him, text Harajiwan, you know, every, every blow by blow with her relationship, you know, with that man named Nirbo, with that guy, that other yoga student, um, you know, time, like texting Harajiwan, you know, tell me when you guys are getting intimate, you know, tell me when you're doing this, that, and I mean, just really yeah. Again, you know, how, how do we judge this? I don't know. You know, we don't well, but- you judge it as the predatory formula that it is, because what I hear when I hear this is I hear my parents generation being victimized with that same level of control and power manipulation by YB. And he married people, divorced people. He stole other people's wives. He you know, sent their their children away. He controlled all these aspects. And to hear how Hari Jiwan has been systematically resetting that up within his own system and, you know, with new fresh meat, so to speak, new fresh flesh, new fresh minds, new fresh hearts. And it's why speaking out loud about it is so essential because it helps to speak to the formula that's on play. I hope that second gen and first gen hearing this hear what's really being on display because, you know, Jules started in 2011, you know, so we're talking about decades later that you might've left and you might've realized this stuff is full of hypocrisy. And yet this predatory formula is on full display current right now with the same exact tactics that feel just as nostalgic and just as aligned and just as spiritually connected as you might have felt it in the 70s <laughs> or as yeah yeah and I remember like you know first gen's kind of like saying to me in those first years that I went to Española being like oh so you're a high G1 student you know he's kind of like a little yogi budget you know he's got his secretaries doesn't he <laughs> you know following after him and doing all this save for him and I was like yeah yeah you know not mm-hmm. understanding at the time um, I remember, so it was solstice 2016 during white tantric yoga. And I ran into, you know, Mondave and I was like, where's your husband? You know? And she's like, oh, well, you know what? Um, you're the first person I'm going to tell. So, uh, we're getting a divorce and she's doing tantric with her G1. How interesting. So anyway, and for those of you that don't know, she's the one who made the movie, the flow of fate. So a lot of the video production and all this Seva is, is her work and, and she is doing- his wife now. 
yeah, is his wife doing, you know, all this teaching for them and for Rama and I guess, you know, kind of like, quote unquote, carrying the Guru Jagat torch and, you know, they're marketing her as this, uh, the next Thing, prodigy, yeah. the next yeah. prodigy. So, you know, look out the for formula. the next Oracle code download trip that you can be a part of. Um, um, so when I when okay, so I remember I was driving up um, Highland uh, Avenue in Los Angeles and um, I, you know, my phone dinged and um, it was a text from a friend who had moved back to Australia who was in the Kundalini Yoga community. It was also a teacher, a Tej student. And the text was a screenshot of that post uh, on Instagram of, you know, the Monday of Harjiwan marriage. And I was just like, are you kidding me? Like, what? You know, like she just got divorced. Like, oh no, oh no, you know? And that was, that was kind of like the first, I was like, I don't think I can attend any more of their events now. This is now 2017. I think I tried to attend a couple more classes, but I, you know, there was such a sour taste in my mouth and it felt so odd that he was because she was um I think she's a couple years younger than me and so you know kind of like putting myself you know because I had wanted to be married to another yoga student like she had been you know I I looked to them as you know as the couple that I wanted to be part of you know like I wish I had somebody to go to solstice with and camp with and you know get you know have a, a yoga Sikh wedding with and you know try to be having kids with you know all of it right and, um, you know, but then to like be putting myself in those shoes of somebody who was sleeping with Harjiwan, who, you know, is at least 30 years, about 30 years older than me. I don't know. It just didn't. <laughs> Cringe. Cringe. Oh, that's your teacher. That's no, old man, uncle stuff. Like, no, 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 no. <laughs> So that was kind of like the beginning for me. Now, we may have to do a part two because I'm going to have to go pretty soon. But um, I had a, I had two panic attacks at the end of 2016. One was around the election. Um, that was when Trump was elected. And then um, I had one at winter solstice 2016 when I was uh, the manager of the SSS cabin, which I did for several years. So doing all that white tantric seva, which... Again, I'm happy to talk a lot more about that, maybe in another conversation. <laughs> There's just a lot there too. <laughs> but so I had two panic attacks and I went out of body both times and I had not had a panic attack like that before. I got on the internet, I figured out that I'd had a panic attack and you know, I, I knew enough to be like, this isn't right, something's wrong. But I also, you know, I was told, you know, like, don't go see a doctor, don't go see doctors, don't go see a psychiatrist, you know, don't go see your family, you know, you, you don't, you don't spend time with your family more than I think it was what, two, three days with your family, you're going to revert to your old patterns was what Hari Jiwon always, you know, taught us. So I just got on the internet, you know, how to stop panic attacks. And I found the Stanford microdosing studies. <laughs> Mm. where they were using uh, LSD and uh, psilocybin um, in micro doses in, in a regimen that was six weeks long, twice a week for six weeks, you know, with journaling and intentionality to, you know, enact changes, uh, you know, mental, emotional changes. 
and that this had dramatically reduced panic attacks for uh, people as part of their studies. And so I was like, oh my God, this is the answer. I remember doing, you know, mushrooms when I was 20 and, you know, having a very interesting experience, but microdosing, you know, that's not, that's not a trip. That's not going to like, I'm not like changing. I'm not, you know, that's, yeah. that's acceptable. I, I was open to that. Yeah. Found a friend who I knew was sort of in that plant medicine world. She gave me some mushrooms, you know, told me all about microdosing and I did it because six weeks, 40 days. This is a new 40 day, you know, sadhana for me. And that's how I looked at it. I did it with yoga, meditation, journaling. It shifted things just enough for me that all of a sudden it's like the door just opened and there's a little bit of light coming through Mm. because at the time I felt, you know, the only way I can explain it is it was like, I was in the corner of like at the ceiling, like there's a wall here, there's a wall here and there's a ceiling here and I'm butting my head in that corner and I've got nowhere to move. There's nowhere for me to go. I felt really trapped in my life at the end of 2016. And this is when my whole existence was 3HO, Kundalini, Rama, Nine, all of it, you know. Solstice every year. Did you go to winter solstice too or just summer? Yeah, winter, summer, running the SS cabin, now doing all this seva for white tantric yoga, working for white tantric yoga. At the solstices as well as in LA? Yes. So uh, I did so, yep. marketing and some of the admin for white tantric yoga LA, which, you know, we had twice a year and I did that for several years. How interesting. Whoa. So this, this kind of like step in a new direction kind of slowly starts opening it for you to start seeing things a little bit more clearly. You're obviously still in the world for another two more years fully before you start oh. moving away. Yeah. It's also in 2016 that I was teaching a yoga class at UCLA and Mm. um, I then had a flight to get on a flight to Santa Fe after this because I was going to be leading the sadhana at summer solstice the next morning. One of the first morning sadhanas. This was like the Thursday, you know, the first day of solstice. And I was supposed to be leading the sadhana. Um, The traffic was so horrible in West LA and I had that huge suitcase of all my camping gear. Um, there's a cutoff for the luggage at, at LAX and I, it was either 45 or 60 minutes at the time. And I just barely missed the cutoff to check my bag. So they wouldn't allow me on the flight. So I said, you have to book yourself on another flight. The only other flight that night to Albuquerque was actually on Southwest. So I got a refund from American airlines. They were very kind to me. And then I just booked myself on this Southwest flight and I'm waiting in line because you, know, you line up because there's no assigned seats on Southwest and I didn't have a turban on, but I had a little white bandana tied in a bow. And I was probably wearing a white top and maybe gray pants or something. And this little lady comes up to me and she goes, you're going to solstice, aren't you? And I was like, yeah. And, and so we started talking and then she's like, can I sit next to you? And so we sat next to each other on the flight. Turns out she was one of Yogi Bhajan's original secretaries and had joined him in 1969. She left in 2004 when he died and she had not been back to see anyone in the community since. And it's now 2016. It might've been 2015. It was either 2015 or 2016. I mean, it was from 2016. Anyway, we shared that flight together and we shared contact information and we stayed in touch. And so she then in 2018 invited me to go visit her. And she said, you know, uh, my friend is here. I want you to meet my friend, Pamela Dyson. What? So the person you met in the airport was an early secretary that then later introduced you to Pamela Dyson. Yes. 
So I went to visit her. I did, I was doing a a video production job for her. She, you know, actually paid for my airfare to come, uh, the woman I had met, the former secretary. And um, so she introduced me to Pamela and Pamela was like- That person was in still, not in, kind of- No, they were, they had been out for- yeah, neutral, very neutral. She's still very neutral about everything. She had made her peace with, you know, having been a secretary and having been involved with Yogi Bhajan, you know, all those years. Um, she had done a lot of work on herself and she was, she was cool. Got it. She just okay, kind of so was introduce- back. But introduces you to Pamela in 2018. Introduces me to Pamela. This is spring 2018. And, uh, and Pamela's like, you know, I've been working on this manuscript and you're somebody who's in the Kundalini Yoga world will you read this and give me your feedback? Oh my God. So at that time, I was involved in a romantic relationship with that former student of Hari Jiwan's who had been married to Monday. Near near Bo. Yes. And so he and I had been sharing stories about, I was sharing stories about what, you know, I had gone through with Tej and he was sharing stories about what he'd gone through with Harji One and beyond and what it was like to be part of that inner circle and all the weird wacky stuff that they did and talked about. And I was shocked. And I think he was kind of shocked to hear about, you know, what I had endured with Tej. And um, I think it was becoming very clear to both of us that something was not this none of this was right none of this was good none of this this was and then when I read Pamela's manuscript and was speaking with both her and this other former secretary and hearing all their stories and hearing about you know how they had lots and lots of sex with Yogi Bhajan and how they had lots of group sex and you know how all these things had gone down and how it was a whole system and how Yogi Bhajan would have them have sex with each other and um (laughs) I mean, I, I was pretty shocked. And I remember telling uh, that man who I was involved with romantically at the time um, about it. And I think both of us were just really shocked, but that was the bubble bursting for us. 2018 and, and building up to this, were you wearing a turban daily or were you just wearing it when you taught? Just wearing it when I taught, but I always had on, like, I like to wear headbands a lot. Um, so I'm you still generally a- lived the lifestyle of being in the community. Yeah. I mean, I was sober. I was uh, plant-based, um, pretty much mostly vegan. And um, yeah, I did the yoga and meditation on an almost daily basis. And mostly wearing white, but kind of mostly in your own way white. and kind of covering your head in your way. Um, and so building up to this. Um, 2018. Now it starts to unravel and you are fully teaching at this time though. Um, I was still teaching. Yes. Only at UCLA. Got it. Got it. So no longer at the studios. No. Oh, what a bubble burster. You get connected to somebody who then leads you to Pamela before the book even comes out in 2020. So this all happens for you in 2018. Yeah. And I have to say that. Yeah. And, and that man and I, we kind of like left together. Um, I think it was, you know, it was a stepwise thing for both of us. I think he more dramatically and drastically kind of, I mean, obviously I think he went through a very, almost a much larger trauma, you know, having been um, all indoctrinated with Harji when in that whole scene and, you know, and having his married. wife be taken by his teacher. And um, so 
that that's just on a whole nother level that, you know, I had not experienced any of that myself. Um, although I had experienced um, a, a very large amount of emotional abuse uh, working for Tage all those years, which I haven't even touched upon yet. And yeah, I and, and, and I was going to say, like, it's okay, because I feel like you brought us to this kind of bubble bursting point, which is a really wonderful landing place for your personal story. And I think it would be wonderful to have you back. And we could really go into kind of like more of the details of specific things in relation to some of these teachers and your formulaic process in, because you have such language around it. You've done a lot of reflection and deconstructing around it. So to kind of have one whole episode where we're just honing in on those things, as opposed to you needing to tell the story to catch us up, may be really good for listeners. Yeah, but I mean, I guess it gives you an idea of, you know, yeah, I mean, how somebody could get in in such a fanatic and 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 sort of, you know, like I said, like that fast track that I took in. Um, it did have a lot to do, though, with those Los Angeles teachers and sort of what they had built and what they were doing. And then how, you know, I sort of saw this very, you know, dark and awful side of what they were doing and, you know, the, the schism between the teachers and the, you know, leaving Golden Bridge and just how it was all about money and power and then sex in there too now. And it just, um, yeah, (laughs) I mean, and it, it was a lot of trauma and the amount of grief that I have had to process um, surrounding all of it, you know, as we all have, um, you know, was, I mean, it's been very immense these last few years, but as you say, you know, I did sort of have a head start, um, in reading Pamela's manuscript, uh, basically two years ahead of others. Um, then what in 2020, when you saw the floodgate of stories and second gen stories, and then like the AOB report and like all these particular things that must've just like, compounded interest of everything you had started to unwind from 2018 to 2020. Well, I mean, it was a lot of like, I knew it, I told you so like, well, here it is, you know? Um, But that's when I, you know, I started to do podcasts and speak with journalists uh, in 2020, you know, because I kind of already, you had sort of already done that kind of, you know, amount of groundwork to to say, you know, and recognize this is a system of control. This is a cult. This was abusive. I lost years of my life. Um, And I think there was a fuel to my fire, you know, so much anger that, you know, I had been feeling, um, particularly regarding the years lost and the energy that I could have been putting toward a career or a relationship, you know, with somebody who I could have uh, begun a family with, Um, you know, and it's personal, but I did find out in 2020 that uh, my fertility is pretty non-existent at this point. I'm 40 years old. Uh, It's pretty typical for women in their forties to have very low fertility. Uh, Mine was particularly low, I think kind of to begin with. Um, But, you know, having to kind of I don't want to blame the group, but, you know, I did lose eight years of my life that maybe could have gone in another direction. And these are years where I did have fertility and I did have, you know, a a, a winsomeness and an, an amount of, you know, enthusiasm towards life and working and being part of something. I could have put that towards a relationship or a career. 
None of that's to say that I still don't have a lot of life ahead of me and that I can't build whatever I want, but there's been a lot of grief around that. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not somebody who was in for 20 years. I'm not somebody who was a second generation born in, you know? So I, I, I don't even know what that's like. Um, But I do know that the amount of grief that I've had with even my involvement has just been immense astronomical and while i do know we'll have another conversation and i'd really like to highlight some of the the predatory formulas specifically of of nine treasures and and what you experienced with with your teacher tej i want to say that what we got to in in this session in, in this conversation together has been so brilliant in that the time period you're talking about and the teachers and the LA scene, it's really, really an important um, illumination that you brought forth in, in your own experience um, to see how these early programs that got started in the seventies and carried on in the eighties and then the nineties are in full effect by the time you're in 2011 and then now still in full effect. So for those of you that really need to hear this, Gurmukh was one of the the teachers that kind of had a real bypassing response to all of this. And then, you know, the Rama group was the, and added that, that was on steroids. They kind of went on attack and that's when they kind of seceded from KRI, which you heard through Jill's story was, was seed planted years earlier before the actual official break. So, you know, these formulas in formulas of predatory patterns, there's so much to what you shared today, Jules. And I know a lot of people are gonna hear themselves in your story from this every decade, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, the 2000s. And it, it is tremendously sad. That That's my experience in hearing it is because there's not enough of these voices out yet by the time 2011 hits, you know, these systems get full on us flurried in. And I see how and why, you know, like you're committed to your well-being and your own growth. And so for you to share your story in this way um, and the ways that you were fully in and committed and devoted and simultaneously kind of watching things go down and kind of like, huh, that's a little strange. Mm, that's a little weird. So it's like a buildup. And until you realize, oh, this is so off, right? And then that book. And so just like, wow, wow, wow. Yeah. And again, as we said, there's so much more that I could talk about. And um, I do want to touch upon at some point sort of the, you know, I mean, I did talk about how like, I recognize that I sort of had the the mother issue thing and then, you know, kind of taking Tej on as, as this sort of replacement in that sort of hole in my psyche. But there was an awful lot of, as I said, emotional abuse that went along right. with that and a lot of indoctrination that went along with her group. And yes. nobody has really spoken about any of that yet. So maybe that'll do a whole episode just focused on that because when you do start listening to Jules and all the all the voice that she's brought to this conversation the last two years, not just this one, but on all the other platforms over the last couple of years, um, you you know that she's got some 
dirty details in so many places. And this is so, and it's not to sound, make it sound bad. It's, it's wonderful because when, when, when somebody like you can speak to put some light into the dark corners of things that are in full play, whether it's, you know, at this ashram or at this Gurdwara or at this studio or with this particular teacher, especially when those systems are still playing out, it only helps um, kind of create a disruption when somebody is ready to really listen to it and see themselves in our own story. So yeah, yeah, of course. Um, so we won't even try to fill in some of these manipulative stories. We're going to actually have another whole episode where we get to um, go into those spaces. Cause I can't wait for y'all to hear some more of these stories. You won't even <laughs> believe some of my eyes popping out when you told me some of the things. When we and I do want to make a disclaimer time. and we kind of talked about this, uh, you and I, Gurnishan, prior to recording, you know, I I feel okay and safe talking about these people, even though some of the stories are not necessarily my own, because I did bear witness to them and they did deeply affect me. And I know that some of these people have not come forward publicly and they are their stories to tell and fill in details of um, or not. And, and that's okay too. But I do think it's integral to understanding the sort of level of you know, horrendous abuse that was going on. So I just. Yeah. And the convolution of it, the ongoing manipulative convolution that literally starts to get you to gaslight yourself. Like, did I just see what I saw? Is that really what's happening? Because it's so contradictory to kind of some of the essence that we're getting through the practices themselves. And this makes it extra confusing and convoluted, which is why giving details in the way that Jules is able to, and why we'll have a whole nother episode is, is so brilliant because what it does is it just, it pokes the hole in the illusion so that if that was your teacher, you get to say, yeah, you don't have a lineage that's clean. Sorry. Nope. This spawns off and new spores are created in new predatory formulas that didn't even always intend to be predatory. But if we're not speaking to, to the things in plain sight, then the secrecy and the shame and the patterns get to continue because we're not calling them out for what they are. So I appreciate your bravery. I appreciate you illuminating your story to me. I, I never knew your full story. It's brilliant. And I, I look forward to our, our next conversation with, with even more uh, stories, because some of the convoluted stories have happened to you. I know you've listened to, to other people listening, um, and we're only going to keep highlighting them. What's the last words for listeners here before we wrap this episode up? Mm. <laughs> uh, you know, this is a process. And I think that even though the sort of main fire that swept through has swept through at this point, we're still, we're still in it. And, you know, we are still working through these things and yeah, it's, and it's all okay. It is wherever you're at in your process, it's just okay. And we hold, we hold space for your story, even if it's never told. Um, so thank you um, for listening. Uh, tell us about your song. Okay. So this song, um, I really love the artist Maggie Rogers. She's almost like a spirit animal to me. She, she kind of, she taps in, she gets it. And this song was released on her most recent album this summer and it's called Begging for Rain. It reminds me, even the title, a little bit of Metamana Loche, 
Mm. You know, the chatrik bird waiting for rain. And um, there's a few lines in it that that always really spoke to me. Um, one of them is, I do my best to not be bitter, give my rage a babysitter, still waiting for the adults to come home. Mm. Mm. And then I'm cutting holes in all the pockets of everyone who's calling me insane. (laughs) Well said. Waiting for rain. Yeah. Waiting for rain. All right, folks. Well, you know, we don't listen to the whole clip, but you can go to the Uncomfortable Conversations playlist on Spotify and listen to the whole clip for copyright purposes. But let's listen in here for a little bit. And waiting, uh, begging for rain. There's also a little harmonium in there. More you wait, the more you break the longer that it takes to undo. All the knots you've been tying on cherry stems and black barb wire Thank you for that. Please listen to those words. That was beautiful. And uh, we only got started. Folks, I want to say thank you so much for tuning into another episode of the Uncomfortable Conversations podcast, the untold stories of the 3HO Kundalini Yoga community. I want to thank you, Jules Hartley, for bringing all of yourself and your vulnerability and your stories. And I know we're just getting started. Um, Thank you also, for your donations to the podcast. Your support is always greatly appreciated. Um, if you want to make a one-time or ongoing donation, you can do that at gurunishan.com slash uncomfortable conversations. And um, please also, if you want to be a guest on the podcast, please send me an email at gn at gurunishan.com. And I look forward to hearing from you. Thanks for your listening support, you all. Talk to you soon. <laughs>